In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed, saying the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we We salute salute you. you. Guys, we honor you for grinding it out in the stress bubble of life. Males are treating the anonymous bleachers, but you've jumped into the arena and into the fray of manhood. And for that, we salute you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. We're pumped that you're listening to us today. Our goal, guys, is to call you into the arena to call you out of every obstacle preventing you from becoming your best version and to call you up to your highest potential. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with the backbone, our producer, co-host, and good friend, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? Doing wonderful. You got a nice new shirt on, man. You're looking dapper today. I'm looking like an old man. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. You are an old man. You're Mm -hmm. at 42? Yes. Yeah, yep, that's it. Wow. 42. I just add 10, and that's where I get to my name. So mm-hmm. I'm, it's actually I'm 44. Really You're 44? Mm-hmm. I missed your last two birthdays. Yes, you did, apparently. Oh, good. I don't want to buy you a present anyway, so I don't like you. Anyway, hey, you got a man word for me today, buddy? <laughs> I do. You're going to guess it. Come on now. Oh, this is tough. I got my friend on the podcast, so I'm going to... Oh, man, this is tough. I can give you hints. I'm going to go a... with the word... No, no, that's not it. You uh, should start with a... A t- yeah. sound? Maybe. I don't. Um, Come I'm, on! I'm gonna go with talent. Oh gosh, ta. Oh, I don't. Ta. Know. I was gonna go with effort. Ta. Tackle, baby. He was an offensive player. So what? Did you ever tackle anybody? Is Brent? that really your man word for the day? Tackle. <laughs> <laughs> Are you really going? I'm with going. Tackle? With it. You tackle life's How? challenges, okay. baby. Okay. Thank you. Is yeah. that what? Is that why that's a man word? Because you is. tackle. You're okay. gonna tackle life's challenges. You know, I like that. I think you're right. I think we can sit idly by and passive. Mm-hmm. I think apathy is the greatest battle a man fights in this lifetime. Uh, the battle to care for the things he should care about. The battle to feel, to be alive. And I think sometimes you have to tackle things and hit them head on. Tackle so, it. 
Yeah. And I'm sure Brent has tackled somebody before. I mean, if you're playing football, <laughs> that, Steve, oh, you know, <laughs> I've tackled some people before. In fact, the uh, I've wanted to tackle a few guys in our huddle uh, more than a few times. But, uh, yeah, I played special teams my first uh, couple of years on the 49ers, and that's where you grind it out. That's where you are facing adversity and getting through and getting no credit and just the, the amount of uh, physical pain that you take by being on special teams is like nothing else. Have you ever oh, flattened Jerry Rice? Uh, no, I would, uh, one, he's my good friend too. Uh, I would have had 49 other guys ready to kill me. A kid that I mentored and coached in football is a starting quarterback for Eastern Washington university. And he was up for the equivalent of the Heisman for FFSA. FSA. So division, it would have been our, it would have been our division, Brent. It's that uh, division one double a, he met Jerry Rice and said that he's got the biggest hands he's ever seen in his life on a man. Oh, Jerry had, he, I, I tell you, when he shook your hand, you'd know it. And uh, he made that work out on the field for sure. He's just uh, it's so impressive. It was amazing. You know, my whole career in San Francisco, he was right alongside me with a locker right next door. So, uh, so I got a chance to steal a lot of his jerseys and gloves. <laughs> Make some money. Make some money. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, before we get into the interview with my good friend Brent Jones, uh, I want to share a couple things I'm really excited about. First of all, Dale, the Men in the Arena Forum. Uh, in four months, that has grown from zero to 6,300 guys. We're getting ready to launch Arena Pastors in this thing. It's just crushing it. So if you haven't done so, guys, go and uh, uh, subs- join that page. We'll add you unless you're a female. And uh, until we uh, get lost, some kind of lawsuit because we're not allowing the girls in. And then also uh, my my newest book, The Man Card, is online and available. Uh, we This copy is not an endorsed copy. We're waiting for that for about a couple more months. But if you want an autographed copy, you can pick that up for $20 and we will send it to your house. We're extremely limited in what we have on hand. So if you're wanting to copy of that book, make sure you let me know. So, hey, today I've got a good friend of mine, an old college football buddy, Brent Jones, he is 55 years old. He His jobs are currently, for the last year, a financial consultant. He's a retired business owner and ex-NFL football player. And so, uh, Brent, I Wikipedia'd you. wikipedia you. How do you say that word? Wikipedia. You Googled his name and I, Wikipedia I Googled said. his name. <laughs> oh, I don't know. When I say I Googled him, it sounds like it's a man law violation. So, anyway, this is, this, is, this is what it says about Brent. Uh, three times named All-Pro, 1992, 93, 94. Is a four-time Pro Bowler, 92 through 95. He finished his 11 NFL seasons with 417 receptions, 5,195 yards, and 33 touchdowns. Shortly after playing career ended, um, Jones became an analyst for the NFL Today. Jones worked on the NFL CBS from 98 to 04 and decided to leave CBS Sports prior to the 2005 season to focus on his business in California which he founded with former teammates. Jones is a former member of the board of directors for San Jose Sports and Entertainment Enterprises, which owns the San Jose Sharks of the National Hockey League. I did not. Now, I heard a rumor that you own the Bengals. Is that is that a rumor? You never owned <laughs> the Bengals? Great. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> own the Bengals. If I did, we'd be much better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So that's that's impressive, man. I mean, I you know, when you play football with a guy, you just, I mean, I knew you did some great things in the NFL, but... It looks like you've just had some uh, great highlights in life. But here's the thing that was really impressive. Uh, you wrote that the highlight of your career was being the very fir- in the very first prayer circle in the NFL. 
Jimmy, it was amazing. I got to tell you, and, and you know, the funny thing is, and I don't want to expand uh, too long, but being a Christian back in the late eighties uh, in professional sports was not a popular thing. There was still kind of that view that if you were a Christian in the NFL, you were soft and, and thank God for a couple of guys in my generation, Mike Singletary and Reggie White, yep. uh, both of whom I got to know pretty well. Uh, they kind of started shattering uh, that perspective. But believe it or not, we see the prayer circle so many times now, NFL, college, high school. The very, very, very first time it was done was on a Monday night game. We were playing the New York Giants. They were the two best teams in football back then. It was 1990. It was December. And our, our team chaplain, um, we had a, a Bible study of about six or seven committed guys. And the giant did as well. We decided that we were going to show the world uh, that we didn't play for ourselves or for money, that we were going to honor God in the post game. We were going to kneel and pray. And there was bedlam at the end of the game. Um, we won a tight game, seven to three. Uh, you walked out on the midfield, Ronnie Lott and Phil Sims got into it. Um, it, it was, it was a melee and we were going to pray on the 50. And so we kind of wandered down to about the 30 yard line. We were looking for the New York giants, didn't see him. So a group of, of about seven 49ers knelt down, grabbed hands and we started to pray. And, uh, a couple of the guys in the New York giants came in and grabbed hands, joined us. And, uh, I get goosebumps talking about it because it, you, you talk about having the courage of your convictions and, and, and being really uh, men of faith. And it was powerful. The Giants said they were going to keep doing it. We did too. I had the opportunity a, a few weeks later to get a call from Reggie White. I mean, to this day, wow. I, I just shake my head. Legendary. Hey, Brent, this is Reggie White. I mean, <laughs> it, it was it was unbelievable. And he wanted to know about um, our prayer, what we were doing, and they were going to do it. And, you know, the league tried to stop it. Initially, the NFL was going to fine players $25,000 a piece, which would have been like uh, a fourth of my salary. And we decided <laughs> we were going to keep doing it. Um, they did not want prayer. They didn't want teams associating with each other and shaking hands and doing all those things like is commonplace nowadays. And, and so we kept doing it for a couple of weeks. And then the, the edict came down that they were going to fine our owner a million dollars if we kept praying. And that scared us. You don't want to get fired because your owner got fired, Milski. So uh, we had one of our guards, Guy McIntyre, go talk to uh, Mr. DeBartolo and Eddie DeBartolo, the greatest owner in, in pro sports history. He really was. He, he said, I love what you guys are doing. You keep doing it. Don't worry about it. And it and it spread. And, and about, gosh, Jimmy, five or six years later, I remember watching a college football game, and all of a sudden those guys were praying after the game. And I – a year or two after that, I'd go to a high school game, and there'd be there'd be uh, players from opposing teams sitting and, and kneeling and praying after the game. And I, you know, I I was just a small sliver of it, but there was some men that weren't afraid uh, at the time. And I got to tell you, it was a lot scarier then than it sounds now. Man, that I didn't know that. That is so. Well, it was really cool this year. I watched. Uh, I'm not going to go into this, but I watched a couple NFL games this year only. But my son, I'm a Steelers guy, and my son is a uh, Eagles guy, and my other son is a Raiders guy. So when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, my middle son went crazy, and we watched that should. game, and we were so <laughs> excited. But just to hear these guys 
uh, and their testimonies and to have these guys honor God. It was it was mind boggling to me. So I I would say that of all the teams that have won the Super Bowl and any or or a championship in the NBA or anything, I think the Eagles represented Christ uh, greater than I've ever seen any uh, team do. Uh, wow. It was it was amazing. It was across the board. It was at the highest level. It was Nick Foles. It was Carson Wentz. It was Zach Ertz. It was you know multiple guys and. Uh, it was powerful across the board. Well, so even their I, head coach. How about that, Doug Peterson? Gosh, yeah, unreal. It was on. It was pretty. It was pretty. St- well, and I'll be honest with you. Around Christmas, we watched the Raiders play the Eagles, and Nick Foles was a, a joke. And to watch him in the NFL in the Super Bowl, what a miracle! I mean, that was a miraculous performance right there. It, he, it he, really was. He, and and, and oh. getting the opportunity to to read and learn more about him. I mean, he was on the cusp of hanging it up and he was walking away from football, uh, probably a little discouraged. And I think God just said in him the opportunity to, to keep going and, and look what it culminated in. I mean, I, you couldn't write a more amazing script. It was unbelievable to watch that game. Anyway, I want to get back to your, a uh, little bit of your bio. Cause I forgot to mention that you've been married to Dana for 31 years and so one of my claim to fames is when I had anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction, you and her were the only football, you were the only guy on the team to visit me. So uh, that, I really appreciate that. I still remember that to this day. You have two beautiful daughters, Rachel, 29, and Courtney, 27. And uh, we're going to throw you into the fray right now, my friend. We're going to throw you into what we call our rapid fire round. I'm ready. Okay, buddy. I'm going to ask you six questions. I'm calling this the stoic round. So these are six questions about life that I want you to ponder. Uh, most of this stuff has to do with you, so it won't be a big deal. But question number one, what's on right now in your life, Brent? What's on your heart? Uh, you know, my youngest daughter, Courtney, had a grandson about six weeks ago. And just uh, going into grandfather mode and, and what you my potential uh, down the line to be able to share with that little guy and have an impact on his life. Uh, much like I have on, on hopefully in my daughter's lives and, and along with my wife, who's just an amazing grandmother. Uh, it's just, it, it feels weird to think of yourself because when you say that with the word grandfather or grandmother, you think of, you know, 80 year olds and, uh, we kind of feel like we're still pretty young, but that's been, uh, that's been a real special time. I've got a two year old granddaughter and, uh, my wife is in the middle of flight attendant school right now for Alaskan airlines. So I'm going to take the granddaughter on her first road trip. We're going to road trip up to see grandma. So, uh, wow. Yeah. But I don't feel, you know, the the funny part, Brent is we're, you know, you're 55, I'm 52, man. I feel like we're, I feel like we interact like we're 21, 22 year old guys, but all of this span of life has gone by and, uh, it does change things for us though, even though we feel young. It does. It changes things. It changes your perspective. And, you know, I, I know mentally we could get out and, and bring some heat on the field. Physically, we might struggle just a bit. Hey, here's my deal. I can do whatever I did when I was 22 in a minute. <laughs> if I can take it. Hey, speaking of that, Brent, so here's my next question, man. And I just – uh. I go back to you were going to be a senior. I was going to be a sophomore, and I think we spent about a semester together uh, as weightlifting partners. So I'm guessing you were 22 at the time. I was probably 19. So if you could go back in time 33 years and visit your 22-year-old self, what advice would you give that guy? You know, I would I would say to appreciate people more. And, of course, you know, you always were – 
uh, aware of your buddies on the team and guys that you hung with uh, in football. And I think I never really ventured outside of that. Yeah. I, I think I just wanted to hang out with football players and certainly my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Uh, but there's there's so many other people that can bring things uh, to the equation and 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 help you uh, grow in your faith and your life. And there are so many great people at Santa Clara that I probably never had the opportunity to meet. So I didn't get outside my comfort zone, Jim, very much in, in college. I kind of stuck in, in my lane. And I think nowadays it, I've met so many great people, whether it's in technology, whether it's in ministry, uh, you know, whether it's in management, whether it's in, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, foundation world. It just shows you that there's there's so many different people making a, a strong impact. And and back then we were kind of uh, football uh, knuckleheads, I guess is the best way. Well, to say. I mean, you know, for those who don't know, Brent and I both played together at Santa Clara University when they had a football program. And so, but you know, it's interesting. You know, between college sports and trying to be a good student. Now, am I am, do, am I accurate? Weren't you an econ major? I was an econ, econ? major. Okay. And that- that was a grind. Yeah, unless you had Father Cos. <laughs> but, you know, the, the funny part is that for me, college was not easy, and that coupled with football and the commitments there, I put my nose to the ground, and I just kind of grinded it out, and I walked away, and, and I was sharing. You had two good friends in college who were in my class. Your brother was one of them, and when those guys transferred out, I just kind of went, you know what? And I've got one guy who I regularly talk to from college, Jim Bannister, and that's really it. And I and I, I look back on my life, and I realize, and tell me what you think about this. I think the gr- greatest wealth that we can find as, as men, especially aging men, is in the power of relationships. Uh, and I'm just really appreciating relationships, and I didn't appreciate those when I was 22, the way you know, I know. Extremely well said. And it, it's so important. And those relationships, I think, as as men become more and more significant as you get older. And I think just the ability as a man to let down your guard and get past the surface level uh, with other men to be. I mean, I hate using this word because it always sounds like I'm, I'm watching a chick flick, but being vulnerable, uh, you know, just just being real, I think, is, is a better word with your buddies and just saying, Hey, these are the things, you know, that are great. These are the things I need help with. These are the things I struggle with or how's things going. And just being able to really share honestly with other guys is so helpful and encouraging. I think at this stage of life, well, you talked about earlier in the podcast, Brent, about being thrown into the fray on special teams. I mean, you were always more of a finesse guy, right? You're the guy who never drops a ball. Uh, my wife actually, we were watching the Super Bowl, and when uh, Brady dropped that pass, my wife said, "He's got alligator arms." And I said, <laughs> "I learned that from Brent Jones." So now that's a phrase that you've taught my whole family. So you had no fear when it came to catching the ball, but running down the field in an NFL football game on a special teams, you know, you talked about the fear there earlier. What do you think that men have a fear of of sharing? Uh, is it easier for a man to? Uh, ignore his fear of these deeper relationships and become an island in himself? And how does that hamstring him? Absolutely. And especially, I think, when you're young, because I think when we're in our 20s and 30s, you're kind of building your life, you're building your career. And and unfortunately, even men of faith, there's a a certain degree of pride and ego in admitting your your faults or shortcomings or or areas where you you, you might need some help uh, makes you seem 
less of a man, I think, at that age. And I think as we get into our 50s, you're less concerned about being less of a man uh, because I think you you realize that that some of those things and being open and being honest and 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 being able to share with other guys makes you more of a man. It's just I wish I knew that when I was 20 five and when I was 30 and when I was 35 and when I was uh, having our, our kids and you weren't able to sleep, you know, the, the first year of your life. And then you have your second one, you're running around and your wife, let's be honest, guys, when our kids are that young, our wife is doing 90% of the heavy lifting. <laughs> no matter what you think, you come home from work, your wife has crushed you in terms of the work meter. And yeah. I, I, I think just getting a perspective um, around that is it's just so much more helpful. Well, and we're living in a generation that's fatherless. 24 million children will go to bed tonight without a father, and 50% of kids from divorce won't see their dad for an entire year. So these men that are growing up, we've got to acknowledge that 60% of these men have no idea what a man is, and where are they going to learn about manhood? To look into the older guys like us, the 50-year-olds that are saying, hey, so we can say, hey, here's what you can expect in your 30s. Here's what you can expect in your 40s. Here's what you can expect in the bubble. And so, no, I really appreciate that, man. That's good stuff, Brent. That's so good. Um, Okay, here's my next question for you, man. And I'm really curious about this one. Who's your greatest hero and why? (laughs) Oh, man. You know, it's funny because as a kid, uh, one of my heroes, one of my my favorite players of all time was a guy by the name of Roger Staubach. He was the quarterback for the Cowboys. And the more I got to know about him as a man off the field, the more he became an even greater hero. Um, and so he balanced, you know, his commitment to the service uh, and then came out of that with uh, his commitment to be the best quarterback in the National Football League, all while uh, walking with Christ along the, the, the way, having an impact off the field. And I've had a chance to meet him a few times and, and just a great, dear uh, man of God. And I think he's a hero to me just because of the way that he balanced his professional life. He was successful in real estate. Uh, but more important uh, than his worldly accomplishments uh, were his spiritual accomplishments and his and his faith and, and a leading Christian man and a very outspoken Christian, I think, uh it's tough for me to think of somebody else. And I've had some unbelievable Christian men impact my life along the way, but he was kind of my first hero and, and pretty much helped me galvanize my faith when I was a teenager. That's funny because I was a Steelers fan. So the, the Dallas Cowboys were their whipping post kind of, but well, we know there were no Christians on the Steelers. No, no. Well, there still isn't, but anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, that's that's not. I know. I'm just kidding. True. That's really not true. But you can't because you're probably friends with Terry Bradshaw. He's the toughest uh, yeah, quarterback in the Terry, world. You know, uh, Tony Dungy and uh, oh, yeah. John Stallworth. There's some dear guys uh, off off of that team from back in the old days. Oh yeah. Well, here's the funny part. When I was a little kid, 10, 11 years old, I had a Roger Staubach football card, and I, I turned it over, and it was really interesting. It really spoke to what you're saying. It had his NFL career on the back, of course, and there was a two- or three-year span where it was blank, where he was in the military serving. And I remember that. You know, that's pretty interesting. <clears throat> so, Yeah, he, he was a, a stud. You talk about a guy that accomplished so much. I mean, remarkably so. 
So here you go. You're you're. I know that you've got this one. This is going to be no brainer for you. What's your all time favorite quote? Uh, my all time favorite quote. Um, you know, I go back to uh, you know, you'd love to have a, a worldly quote and say, you know, tough guy this, tough guy that. <laughs> um, but for me, uh, it's in the book of Proverbs, and it's Proverbs three, five, and six. It says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding." And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. And it's it's become a life verse for me, but it's also my favorite quote because it's looking back at age 55. It's a it's amazing how many times that I, I had no idea what God was doing in my life. Uh, but I I tried my best to acknowledge him in all ways and trust his guidance and those paths that those paths that sometimes seem to take you the long way around, uh, he ends up making them straight. And, uh, it's, it's been, uh, a blessing for me. And it's just, it just shows you that our own understanding sometimes is, is so inferior, not sometimes a lot of the times, uh, but God is in control and, and whether it's the opportunity to stay at Santa Clara and meet my future bride, which if, if that was it, uh, that's a, a, thousand percent no-brainer best thing that ever happened to me in my life um and then to take me from a a baseball player to a football player and be at a small school and and play for the hometown team and and do all these things um jim and 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 you will uh appreciate this i was scared to death to speak in front of people at santa clara <laughs> and if you had to do oral reports is that dale snickering in the that's background? me because I, yeah. I gotta tell you a story about that and yeah so i mean i hated it and, and I think God has a great sense of humor because for, for whatever reason, I had to start speaking and talking. And, and I remember my very first time I had to go and share my testimony. I did not want to do it. Our team chaplain with the 49ers, I was on the team for like a month. And he said, hey, I signed you up to give your testimony. I'm like, well, I don't speak in front of people. And he's like, you do now. And, and uh, <laughs> so just to have uh, the opportunity to go out and share and speak with so many churches, youth groups, uh, hopefully inspire some people over the year and, and share what God's done in my life has just been remarkable for a kid that just was scared to death. I mean, I'd get an F on every oral report cause I wasn't going up in front of the class. <laughs> well, I'm laughing. You know, Isaiah 30, 21 is a verse I hold on to. It says, whether you turn to the left or to the right, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walking it. So it kind of reminds me of the verse that you were talking about. And, you know, I was laughing, Brent, because uh, when I was at Santa Clara, I had a I had a tradition there. I would walk into the class and I would walk up to the professor and grab the syllabus and I'd look at it. And if it said oral presentation anywhere, I'd put the syllabus down and slide it across and walk out of the class and drop it. God bless you. <laughs> You're smarter than me. Yeah. I, didn't, I never read the syllabus. I was oh man so like when when i my, my love when my life uh, took a spiritual turn to, to christ uh the first thing i felt like was was uh, that god said to me was guess what you're going to be doing sucker and i was like uh-uh <laughs> and and and, and you know it's funny i was really bad at it and i might still be bad at it but i tell that story everywhere i go because you know god gifts those he calls he equips us and uh, that's really cool man so hey uh so dana uh, if if I were to bring her into the room right now, and if I were to sprinkle some pixie dust on her and say you can change one thing about Brent, what would it be? 
you know, it's funny because she's always very protective of me, but she would, she would force me to put myself in. She would say, I want him to be a leader more often and get out there. And you know, the funny thing is I kind of feel like I have, and I have been, but she's, she's relentless. Look, she's 24 seven. She's going and I'm, I'm, I like sitting in the easy chair sometimes and watching ESPN or I like messing around and, and, and going down and going out and, and shooting or, or hunting some pigs or doing something. And so I'm, I'm at, at I'm kind of at a semi retirement stage in my life. I'm doing some consulting and doing some stuff, but I think she thinks I need to get out there. I need to put myself out there more. I need to be on top of some stuff. And so that's probably what she would say. Although there could be a, a huge list of things. I'm going to write a book uh, in the near future called Be- Behind, and it'll be crossed out, and it'll say, besides, every good man is a great woman. And there's so something to the woman and her ability to push a man. You know, people think that we lead, you know, that because I have a men's thing that we want weak women. No, the problem with society and its weak men is weak women. We want strong women. We want dynamic women. We need them. We're, we're barbarians without them. We are barbarians. And, you know, she has, (laughs) it's amazing. Uh, It's amazing what she's taught me and, and guided me with alongside our, our life. We've been married 31 years, uh, started dating 34 years ago. You were there, um, you witnessed it. And so to, to marry your college sweetheart and to be in love and just enjoying life is there's nothing truly, there's nothing like that. And she's been remarkable. Uh, every step of the way. That's so good, man. Hey, Brent, we're going to take a short uh, minute here and hear from our sponsor of the podcast. They will be right back. The Man Card Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is building an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts. Every man in the arena matters. So get in the game by joining our closed Facebook forum for men called The Men in the Arena. There you will lock arms with men from all around the world. This is a great page, guys. Hey, if you want to learn more about becoming the best version of you, go to themancardpodcast.com. Grab a copy of The Field Guide, my bathroom book for men, with 365 daily readings about what a man is and does using famous quotes and epic stories. I wrote this book for men who don't read books. Guys, you're going to love this book. Pick up a copy today following this episode. Thank you again for jumping into the arena with us and championing the greatest battle of our time, the fight to change your world. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Okay, hey, so so let me ask this question about Dana Brent. Would you say that your relationship is stronger now than ever, the same or weaker? It is stronger. And they're just years of experiences, uh, of sharing. I think that there are times where, of course, I had to learn how to share and open up and share my feelings and, <laughs> and, and be able to communicate uh, effectively so she could hear what I was saying and I could hear what she was saying. And we, we had an opportunity to go to a lot of marriage conferences, uh, gosh, probably the first 10 or 15 years of our lives. And so some of those tools were, were built into our relationship uh, that's that's been really significant but i think just um the trials and tribulations whether it's adversity with my career and football or injuries 
or having uh, two young girls that were very active, uh, advanced in sports, and now with our grandson, I think the different stages of life, uh, I love to celebrate with her. And I, I think that uh, we know each other extremely well. We like a lot of the same things. And so she's adventurous. She'd go anytime I'd say, hey, let's go to Africa to do this. She'd go, okay. And of course, if she said, I'd go, I don't want to do that. Um, and so she's up for pretty much anything. She's an adventurer and, and loves people and is such an encourager. And so I think as we've grown together, I think we're we're closer now than than ever. So one of the things I tell men at the at men's conferences, especially men who have been married more than once, so that's important to hear that. I tell them this: if you want to have a successful marriage, and if you want to be in a line with God's plan for you, your wife must be the most important person on the planet, even more so than your children. What do you think about that? I think that's a great comment. Um, and, and certainly, you know, from, from men who have uh, been divorced and, and are in, in another relationship, I hadn't been there. And I think you have to walk in those shoes yeah. to know. But I do know this. A successful relationship takes time and it takes effort and it takes caring and it takes encouragement and it, and it takes a lot of output by men. And I think sometimes as men, we get to a stage where we just want input and we just want, we just want our wives to do things for us. And I think I learned very early on, Hey, I, I, I want to be treated. I want to, I need to treat her like I want to be treated. And I think that that sometimes it's just like being, uh, with your kids, sometimes you're, you're doing things, uh, as they grow up that you wish you'd rather be someplace else, but you love them. You're going to be there. Well, it's the same with your wife. And I think even more so, um, and, and like you said, she needs to be the most important thing, uh, in your life more than kids and and certainly not more than, than your relationship with, with God, but right there below that. Well, it's funny because when I was in my, I got married at 26, and from 26 to maybe 40, I would have not. I would not have said she's my best friend. I would say she's my lover. She's my wife. She's a. I'm, she's a. She's the mother of my children. You know, I love her. But something, because in the bubble, she's doing 90 percent of the lifting. You said with the kids, I'm working. She's doing the 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 kid thing, and uh, and there's there's kind of a separation there because I'm gone a lot. And but as I've gotten older and the kids have left the house. And she's had more free time. We spend more and more time together. And I would say the last 10 years, we've meshed to – she's my best friend. No question about it. And if I could go back and tell these stress bubble guys, these younger guys raising their kids, I would say don't center your life around your kids and their sports and anything. Center your life around Christ. But center your life around your – as the most important person, center that relationship with your wife and not your children, where I think the temptation is to make our children – because we live in a participation trophy world now, right? So we make our children the center and not our wife. How, what do you think about that? Jimmy, I think those are wise words. And, and I think if I could go back and tell guys in their 20s, and certainly we experienced that as well, um, but your, your kids and your, their events and their things become such a big part of your life. But what you don't really realize is at some point in time, they're going to grow up and move out of the house. And if you put 100% of your 
your time and effort and the things that you you and your wife share are just the kids and their activities, you're going to find yourself as an empty nester looking at your wife saying, hey, we don't really have that much in common. Hey, we aren't really aren't good friends or, or hey, my wife really kind of annoys me or I annoy her. And without putting into the relationship in your 20s and 30s and even as your kids grow, I've been heartbroken these last 10 years to see so many people and friends all of a sudden split up when the kids are out of the house because they realize, hey, the only thing they had in common was the kids and the kids' events. And it's because they didn't invest time and effort into their relationship and their relationship alone. Bro, you hit it out of the park right there. I, I, I cannot believe how many divorces I'm seeing between the 20 and 30 year marriage mark. It's shocking. It's shocking. It makes no sense. You've, you've already been through the grind. I know. All you're, you do, I mean, you're, you're now you're in smooth sailing. Yeah. You're now, on the other side of the bubble. Yeah. I don't get, well, it, but it's it, what it you're saying. Take some effort early on. And there's, you know, there needs to be a handbook on, on building into the, your relationship with your wife and vice versa in your twenties and thirties. I think you and I should write it. It's not a major thing. It's, <laughs> it's lit. It comes back to little things. And it's just like in, in football or, or any athletic uh, endeavor. It's, it's time and effort into the little things day in, day out that build up and become huge over the long run. And that's why you're seeing, you know, good friends at age, you know, after 20 years of marriage break up and it's just, it's shocking. It comes out of left field. You know what, Brent, you said something you said it's time and effort in the little things over time. And now I hope I don't embarrass you here because uh, people probably don't know this about you. And I may be wrong. I'm going basic, strictly off of memory, but you didn't even start on your high school football team. You were a baseball guy. I did not start in football. I thought I should have started. <laughs> I wasn't, and I wasn't happy. But um, I came from a, a day and age where uh, my dad was a football coach. Uh, and he told me, he said, you never called the coach. You never complained. You know what he said? You got to work harder in practice and you got to make it so your coach has to play you. And toward the end of my high school career, I played in three or four games. And my coach, I learned so much from. And even though I was mad and frustrated with him, I wanted to to prove to him that I was working hard. He ended up coming to Santa Clara and helping us out. Yeah. Steve Cox, yeah. who was a heck of a coach. And yep. he represented to Santa Clara that, hey, this kid has some potential. He's a baseball player. You're going to need to give him a baseball scholarship as well. So I, I went there on a football-baseball scholarship, and things didn't work out in baseball because I got hurt playing football, had to have surgery. Baseball coach took my scholarship away. And, Jim, I don't know. It was right before you got there. Yeah. I was devastated. I was going to transfer. I was going to leave. I thought I was going to be a baseball player. I was just paying playing football to pay the bills. Uh, pay, pay for some school and uh coach Malley took me aside and said hey we're gonna we think you got a chance to uh to play football at a high level um we need to move you from wide receiver to tight end you need to get in the weight room but maybe you can play in the nfl and more importantly than that you need to stay at santa clara here and get your education and jim i prayed about it because i was i was in, in spite of one of the all-time great coaches pat malley's give me that speech i still thought i might leave prayed about it god just put it on my heart to stay at santa clara 
A few months later, there was this transfer student named Dana that that came in, <laughs> found my wife, got in the weight room. You talked about us lifting. I guarantee you, I was probably lifting half as much as you at the time. You were a beast <laughs> and a huge weightlifter. You I had a hey. I hated lifting weights. You had a great overhead press. So I'm like, dang, he's strong in the military. He's got good triceps. I yeah, had the that chest. Was good. I, I I had that going for me. But hey, here, which which, nice. which is nice. <laughs> what movie was that? Uh, Stripes. Stripes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but hey, you know what's interesting though? Uh, when Mally gave you that talk, you were six four one eighty five. Exactly. You were a skinny. I was a guy. wide receiver, and uh, I was a I was a super fast tight end, but I was kind of a a, a slower wide receiver. I was a four seven guy. Got myself down to four six. Um, played tight end, started started lifting, eating, trying to, you know, protein powder, you name it, and got obsessed with the gym just so I could be serviceable as a blocking tight end. But it, it, changed, it changed my way. And I think sometimes uh, as young guys, too, in, in society, we see this, and I think a lot of has been implemented by our generation of parenting. When the going gets tough, the parents in our generation step in and that's really changed. I think a lot of people and their, a lot of men in their twenties and thirties, because when the going get got tough, when I was a kid, you just sucked it up. You had grit, you had determination, you battled through adversity and those experiences helped shape the young man that you became. Well, it's the same in your marriage when you're in your twenties and thirties, when the going gets tough, you don't just quit or change tracks. You dig in and you figure it out. You married this girl for a reason, um, whether it's counseling, whether it's you know some personal behaviors, whether it's some things that you might not want to hear that might be a blow to your pride or your ego. You got to suck it up, grit your teeth, be a man, be a man, and battle through for the for the love of the girl that you asked to marry you, and so. I just hate the this the give up society because I, I I battled through whether it's injuries, whether it's coaches, whether it's second string, whether it's division two, whether it's this. And I know so many of my fellow brothers like yourself, you know, it's not all always rosy. You know, you talked about the ACL knee surgery, you battle back. Life isn't always, you know, honey and roses. Um, yeah. God doesn't promise us that, but we got to rely on him and and gosh my one of my offensive line coaches with the 49ers Bob McKittrick famous guy he, he used to talk about it he said if anything else fails you got to keep your feet moving and i think in our in our relationship with Christ and in in our relationship with our wives there's times where you feel like you're you're losing that block or you're getting thrown or you're not you're not doing it just keep your feet moving. I love it. Well, you know, the thing about it, you, you know, we have, we give a lot of grief to the millennial generation and I was speaking, well, I was speaking at a men's event this weekend and I said, Hey, why are we giving them grief? We're the ones that invented the participation trophy. Oh, we're the ones that invented the helicopter mom. We're the ones that invented the bulldozer dad, you know, bulldozing every obstacle over, you know, we need, you know, our kids, we need to tell them. I love what you're saying, man. I'm just resonating. Suck it up, buttercup. 
and just grind it out. Keep your feet moving. You know, I mean, I, I mean, and you modeled that, Brent. You said time and effort in the little things over time. You know, you went from a guy who was not even starting on his high school football team to becoming an NFL superstar, and that you just have learned to grind it out and keep your feet moving. So uh, that is just so impressive. So, hey, speaking of that, how's your peck? <laughs> <laughs> so the way to throw that, <laughs> that is so wrong. So uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, for whatever reason, I hated lifting. By the time I got to the NFL, I did it, you know, in the offseason. It was fun. You know, you get a, a workout buddy or whatever, and it's not always the best. But when I retired at age 35, I said, you know what? One thing I promise I'm never going to do the rest of my life, I'm never going to lift weights. Like, <laughs> lifting weights suck. And about <laughs> the time I, uh, my knees and my ankles and all the surgeries I had, when I couldn't run anymore, I thought, how am I going to get a good workout? And so about 10 years ago, I started lifting again, and I became obsessed with it. I, I loved it. And it's crazy because I don't know why I like it. And so I've been lifting. I've been lifting heavy. I've been lifting 55 years old. And I'm like, okay, I, this is this is my part of my morning routine. I'm up early, and I'm lifting, and I'm working out hard. And so about five weeks ago, I was doing dips, just simple dips. I've been I've been lifting for ten years. I, I don't I haven't had any problems, and I'm going like on my thirty first dip, and I tell you I I feel like my shoulder rips out of its socket, and I didn't know what it was, and I was in pain, and it was black and blue in an hour. I mean it was so painful, and I I literally thought I dislocated my shoulder. Well, what I came to realize a day or two later, I tore my pack off the bone. And uh, what a beautiful thing. Uh, <laughs> right. it, and it wasn't on the bench press, which was really interesting because I figured that was the only way that could happen. So I, this is funny. Um, my 49ers team doctor called the Cowboys team doctor, who's a stud, Dr. Cooper. And he's, he just was so matter of fact, he goes, well, we're just, you tore it right off the bone. We're just going to get some screws, drill into your shoulder. And uh, we'll, we'll put that thing right back in there. And so I'm about five weeks out. Hardest thing to do is I haven't been able to do anything. He's like, you aren't to do anything until the first week of April. So I've been sitting around. I've been able to ride the bike, jog a little bit, but I can't pick up a weight. And it's driven me crazy. And I can just feel my guns are shrinking. I'm sitting here. <laughs> my chest is deflating. And I'm like, I got to psychologically fight through it because I'm going to be firing up here pretty soon. But yeah. It's an old man's disease. Keep the feet moving, baby. So, hey, there Brent. So, go. what do you? I saw a picture somewhere of you. I think it was at a Santa Clara reunion. You look good. What, what do you? What do you weigh right now? Well, I'm about. I, I should look better, um, but I'm. I'm right now. I'm about two forty five, and I'm trying to get down to about two twenty five. Man, maybe we should become a long distance accountability partner. So now this third, because I'm at two sixty five right now. So. So 31 reps. Why 31 reps? Why, was, why it's so it, high? I wasn't that. I was just, I, I, I was doing reps of eight. So I, I had done three reps of eight. And so I was trying to get my fourth oh, rep of okay. eight down to 42 and, and bam. And it was, you know, I'm sure everybody is like, oh, that old football player. What a dummy. Like he shouldn't be lifting heavy weights. And of course, Dana was all over me. I told you you don't need to be lifting heavy weights. I'm like, I wasn't lifting heavy weights. You're the heavyweight. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. you know, so here's so I mean, I've been lifting 
uh, I've been lifting uh, or working out all my life as well. And uh, as we age, it seems to be changing how we lift, what we lift. What are you learning, Brent, about you know going back to this effort and time? What are you learning about your body as you age that you can pass on to these younger guys who are maybe in the bubble? They're not willing. They don't have the time to lift weights, or they're you know. What would you tell these guys about uh, fitness as we age, and and what 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 advice would you give them? You know, I one thing that I that I realized uh, several years ago, I was working hard in, in my uh, my business, and I was starting to put on a lot of weight, and I was just I would dismiss my time. Uh, as saying, you know, Hey, I don't have time. I'm focused on my family. I'm focused on my business, but you're, you've got to find a way to carve out, you know, 40 minutes, an hour for yourself. And if that means getting up an hour earlier in the morning, just to be not only to be physically fit, Jim, but I think from a mental perspective, I think the, the, <laughs> I used to think this was all a sham, but getting those endorphins going yeah. early in the morning, it, it changes your mindset. It changes your perspective. It changes uh, how chippy you get later in the day. I mean, there was there's times where Dana could say, "Oh, I, I bet you didn't work out this morning," and she'd be right. It's like you just maybe I just have a little less patience at the end of the day. And so, for guys to realize that, and whether it's whether it's running, whether it's weightlifting, whether it's riding a bike, whatever it is, to carve to carve out that time just to kind of decompress because we're we're in a society nowadays and these younger guys way more so than me you you are a multitasker times a thousand yeah even if you don't know it whether it's your your text whether it's your email whether it's your instagram whether it's your facebook whether it's your work whether it's your job whether it's your kids whether it's sitting in traffic i mean you're trying to do multiple things and it stresses out your brain. So to be able to give your chance yourself a fighting opportunity, you know, start taking care of yourself a little bit. I don't, I don't mean to carve out, you know, three hour massages at the spa. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little bit here and there, but, but caring about yourself. And it's funny because, you know, when I play with the 49ers, you, that was part of life and you had trainers and you had massage therapists. And you had, I mean, you were, you were taken care of and it's a, it's actually a shock to the system when you're done playing yeah. because all of a sudden nobody, you go from everybody taking care of you to nobody taking care of you. And if you don't stand up and realize, Hey, I, I better take care of myself. And then, and a, another word, because I'm one of these young guys in my twenties and thirties, I'm not going to the doctor. I don't yeah. need to go to the doctor. You know what you guys, even if it's once a year, once every couple of years, get out in front of it. Be uh, aware of some of the the things that, that could be pitfalls along the way and, and be smart and take better care of yourself. And you're not going to do it for you. Do it for your family. I'll tell you what. Every year after 40, I started going to the doctor. And uh, and it's been – I actually went and saw a naturopath last week. I'm not even going to tell you what my fat percentage is. It's kind of scary. So I'm oh, on a, I'm on a crash course deal here, but you, uh, so here's something I tell guys, and this sounds a uh, counterintuitive, but, uh, my wife's at flight attendant school right now and they're learning a lot of safety stuff. And one of the things that they teach you if you're playing, flying on a plane is if something bad happens, take care of yourself first. And I, and in my life, the priorities of those who I, uh, are in my life are God, Shanna and the boys. But what I've had to realize is, and I think this is where these young guys in the stress bubble don't get this, because the guys listening to this podcast, Brent, are are good guys. They're hardworking. 
mostly American men, and they understand what it is to grind it out. These are not participation trophy people. These are guys that are getting it done. But what they do is they often get it done and sacrifice themselves in the process. And what I'm having to come back to them and say, whoa, 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 hold on. You can't give if you're not healthy. Put the air mask on first. You've got to do certain mm. certain values. I call them practices. Certain practices to take care of yourself, your health and your, your spiritual life and your mental life. And you need to take care of this whole mental, physical, spiritual, social thing. You know, But take care of yourself so that you're healthy enough to lead and love those that you've been called to lead and love. And that, that's kind of what I'm hearing you saying. It's it, you know what, Jimmy? I think you package it much better than me, but it's exactly right. Uh, because you can't, uh, you, you can't play the game at fifty percent, right? That You're going to so be good. on injured reserve. Well, let's not be on injured reserve and be limping through the day uh, because you're not going to have the impact that you want to have on on your family and others at work and and your friends and all the things. Uh, that you aspire to. You know, one of my favorite quotes is by John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart. Uh, he quoted a friend of his, but I quote, I have this on my phone. Every day at 9 o'clock it pops up, Brent, and it says, let the world feel the weight of who I am and let them deal with it. Now the problem is the world cannot feel my full weight if I've mentally, physically, spiritually, or socially at less capacity. So to be a full-capacity man... I, and to let the world feel the full weight of who I am, not the half weight, like you were saying, we need to be healthy, right? And I mean, this so is, true. I, I mean, this is so good, man. So a while back in the podcast, you talked about a workout buddy. Now, when I was, now we were workout buddies, but generally speaking, you know, when I got out of college and I and I entered life, I never had a workout buddy. I just did my thing. But how important is having this guy in your life? to come alongside of you, whether it's working out, whether it's whatever it is, getting together once a week. I mean, do you have a guy like that in your life, a guy who's like your guy, like your workout, your life guy, your life buddy, your accountability partner? Do you have any of that? You know, I've actually had a, a, a couple guys along the way. And up until uh, this last year, I had a, a friend in the Bay Area, and I we had a trainer. I, I was so impressed about – 10 years ago, I saw him. I go, gosh, you look like you're in great shape. He goes, I got this, this great trainer. Um, he said, the only thing is he's uh, he's an old school gold gym, like <laughs> one of those muscle head guys. And I go, gosh, I, I got to at least meet him. And I met him and he said, you know what? You're, you look kind of, you soft. look kind of soft. And I was like, oh, man, that's just what he needed to say to me. <laughs> so I drove an hour each way to work out two to three days a week to work out with my workout buddy like at, at 6 or 6.30 in the morning. We did this for like eight or nine years. It was awesome because you talk about work, you talk about family, and yeah. you'd be busting your tail. And our trainer was killing us. And, and just a dear guy, a, a guy that I love so much. And then I moved. And when I moved this last year, um, one of our Santa Clara buddies, you know, I moved into town with with Jim Cranston. Oh, yeah. Jim would work out every now and then. But he was like, you know, maybe once or twice a week, three o'clock in the afternoon guy. And I said, no, that's not going to work. So I started dragging his butt up in the morning and we were working out at 630 or 7 a.m. Got him going four or five days a week and 
to be honest, he'd bellyache about it all the time. And, and it was great. And it was kind of a, 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 a time to, you know, to be able to talk about what's going on, be able to do this, be able to do that and to have a workout buddy. It just makes everything make sense. It's so great in the morning. Um, sometimes you need somebody to push you. Sometimes you need somebody to talk to sometimes, but you're getting stuff done. And it's, it's maybe the greatest way to multitask. You can talk with your buddy, you can encourage him, um, whether it's uh, on the workout, whether it's about his family, whether it's about, you know, his relationship with God, whatever that might be. It's such a great time early in the morning to be able to do that and to start your day. So I have a question for you, Brent. So my work right now, what I'm doing, if I look at a weight, I put on 10 pounds of muscle. In fact, I went in, I'll tell you this, I'm confession time right here. So you can be my priest, for example. Cranston will like that. You can be my priest. So, <laughs> so I went in and I he he put me on the scale and my skeletal thing shows up and he says, "See all that green?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "Your whole body is green." He goes, "You have more muscle mass than any fifty-two-year-old man I've ever seen." He said, "But you're at thirty-one percent body fat." In other words, I have eighty-five pounds of fat. Well, I'm down to eighty-two pounds of or eighty pounds of fat now on my body. So I have moved from a weightlifting-based program to a cardio-based program. Interesting. Now, yeah. So I lift weights one day a week. It's a full-body workout. I spin two, mountain bike one, and hike one. What, 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 are, what is your ratio? Are you more of a lifting guy? I mean, what, what are you learning about your body as you age? What does your body need for you? So I, I certainly can use more cardio. My biggest challenge is, is my knees. I had three knee surgeries and a couple ankle surgeries. And so when I run, I end up hurting myself after about three or four weeks. I'll think, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 again. I can jog, I can run. And then I'll blow up my calf or I'll, I'll tweak a hammy or I'll mess up my knee. Plantar and fasciitis. Doing that. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I'm on the bike. I'm, I'm doing a little jogging here and there. I'm not sprinting. I wish I could. I, I feel like I could, but I know I'd hurt myself. Um, but what I've realized is um, I still like lifting, but I and I like to kind of go through um, uh, kind of cardio lifting. I kind of go through pretty fast, so I get some cardio out of it. But all that being said, you know what it comes back to, Jimmy, and I and I hate to say this because I hate hearing it. Just show up. It's 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 the older you get, it's probably the ratio is eighty percent diet. 20% workout. 90% baby. Oh, <laughs> it's so, all yeah, you're right. That's oh, the hard yeah. part, right? You can't overeat so your workouts. So you I can work my my tail off, but if I don't eat right, nothing's changing. And so when you're young, appreciate the fact that you can eat anything, work out and lose 2 or 3 pounds, but just when you start hitting those mid 30s and especially you hit 40, your metabolism is that of an 80-year-old woman. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Well, it's funny. I'm uh, doing the, this thing called the Whole30 right now, which is a hardcore paleo deal. And the author, Dallas Hartwig, wrote this. I've got a section in my phone called Life Quotes, so I collect life quotes throughout the year. And uh, this one says this. You cannot out-exercise poor food choices and the resulting hormonal disruption and uh, I'll tell you what, diet is such a huge because I am in shape. I, you're strong. You look strong as heck. But it's but I wouldn't want to tackle you. Well, you probably couldn't get your arms around me right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the the hard part is as we get older, and this is what we got to tell the young guys. 
it's not about how much you can bench, bro. It's about your weight and carrying that weight up and down a hill or carrying that weight up and down the stairs. Our weight is a huge issue on our joints, on our back, uh, and we've got to figure that out. And that's why, you know, when, when I, ru- I do run bleachers occasionally, but nice. I, I, I do about once every two weeks, but I, I go down, I walk down the steps and then I do, I walk around the lap and just run the bleachers because my, my joints at this age, I got to be really careful uh, with the joints, right? Yes, so, man. Yes. That's my biggest issue. And, and, you know, we sound like a couple of old men sitting here <laughs> whining, whining like babies. <laughs> oh, it's like those old, those two old men on a park bench and a beautiful young woman walked by and that old man says, you know what I'd like to do? What's that thing we used to do? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, so Brent, I got a question, man. This is just more me selfishly just asking. So what, what do you miss the most about the NFL? So I, it, it's funny. There's so many different things. Um, the, the excitement of being introduced and coming out of the tunnel and having 70,000 fans going <laughs> crazy and so loud that you get goosebumps while you're, while you're running out. That's certainly one the the, the thrill of the competition at the highest levels, uh, a, dr- a two minute drive when you're down and you got to come up with the big plays and make the catches and, you know, get out of bounds or whatever. But the thing that I miss the most is the camaraderie. It's the relationships. And you talked about this and, and we were, we were talking about it very early on in the podcast. It's all about relationships. Well, and it's interesting uh, in the eighties, the 49ers were the greatest team in the NFL in the eighties bar none. And what was the owner's name again? Uh, Italian. What was his name? Eddie DeBartolo. Eddie DeBartolo. And he was, you know, it was funny watching, even when we were in college, before you got to the Niners, he was famous as a owner who the players loved. And there was something there with this. Did you guys win three Super Bowl rings when you were there? Three when I was there, yes. And five in the 80s? Uh, It was five. We had one in... uh, one in the nineties. So we had four in the eighties and one in the nineties. So easily the best team in the eighties. What was it about the nineteen eighties forty niners that set them apart from any other team in the NFL during that decade? You know what? I think it was. Uh, well, there were so many things, but it was structure and leadership starting at the top. Eddie DeBartolo um, treated everybody as family. Bill had Bill Walsh. Bill was certainly an. Uh, a genius. He was not only a genius as X's and O's, but a genius motivator. And what he understood was there's not one specific way to motivate uh, the players in the locker room. Different players were motivated by different things. Some guys needed a pat on the back. Some guys needed a kick on the backside. Some guys needed the threat of somebody behind them. He understood that you had 50 different personalities and people were motivated to be their best by different things. And so he brought that out in each guy. Um, One thing that you would talk to players that played for bill and they would all say this, they never really felt comfortable. He never (laughs) wanted anybody to feel comfortable and he wanted there to be somebody breathing down your neck as a starter, as a player. And it was interesting because the one guy that he could never really pressure 
was Joe Montana. And then in 1987, he brought in Steve Young. And all of a sudden, you know, whether Joe would admit it or not, started to feel, hey, it, it, you know, is this somebody breathing down, down my neck? And yeah. 88, 89, he had some of the greatest career play, years of his career. And had he not hurt his uh, attendant in his throwing arm, he would probably would have won another three or four Super Bowls. Well, you know, so it's all fun. that, yeah. all, all those things, sorry, Jim, all those things kind of combined made it a great organization, but there was a real uh, sense of, of camaraderie in the locker room and a, a consistent drive and encouragement by each guy to excel at the highest levels. It wasn't just, Hey, worry about yourself, push each other to perform. Yeah. Because you won Super Bowls with two different coaches with two different quarterbacks I mean, there was something special going on uh, with the top down and with, with, uh, with among the teammates. And my favorite Bill Walsh quote is this. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Success is about 85% or 15% what you know and 85% how you handle people. Wow. So there's That's so, a great quote. So he only gave 15% to the West Coast offense? I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. West Coast offense was so far ahead of its time. Oh, maybe, maybe twenty-five, seventy-five. Well, and you were made for it. I mean, you were made for the West Coast offense. Put you out yeah, wide, you know, let you run. It was so great. I mean, to be a part of that was just yeah. It's still a, a kind of a pinch me like moment. It, sometimes it doesn't feel real. Well, I I remember Brent. Just even uh, just the the two years we played together. Every time you stepped out to practice. You went a hundred percent. Now I, I want to ask you this: you, you said Walsh had a way of knowing what motivated you. What what motivated you? I mean, because you because always you, went hard. Um, for me, it was uh, being a starter. You know, those first couple first couple of years, you had to pay your dues. We talked about being on special teams and, and kind of paying your dues. And uh, what motivated me was, hey, you got to step up at the highest levels you know, to be a, a starter on this team, we look across the board, we got, you know, all pros, Hall of Famers, and, and you got to match that. And so when you're, when your number gets called, you need to make the play and you need to make the play all the time. And it wasn't like I wasn't making the play. It was, I just didn't have the opportunities, but when you get thrown in there, you can't, you, you can't stammer, you can't stumble, you can't, have assignment mistake. You can't drop the ball. You got to actually excel and and perform constantly. And that for me, early on when when Bill was my coach, that meant every day in practice because that was the only way I was going to catch his attention to be able to get the opportunity to do it in the game. Man, that's so good, Brent. We're like way over time, and so uh, I'm going to have to cut it short. But I'm going to bring you back on, man. We could keep doing this for hours so thanks Dude, so much I mean, this this is awesome the 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 friendship the fellowship and and the camaraderie that i feel is uh with with you and and uh certainly dale dale i'm sorry man jim's hogged all the uh all the time <laughs> i'm used to it he, he knew it was yeah. gonna happen ahead of time so man sure appreciate you being on here and investing in these uh men in the arena and so guys hey guys you've been listening to the man card podcast Helping us transform the lives of men, helping us change their world is as easy as one, two, three. So, guys, listen. One, enlist 
in our army. Subscribe to the Man Card Podcast if you haven't already done so. Join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men. This thing is exploding. 6,300 men from around the world in four months. Go onto that page. Number two, invest in becoming your best version. Go to our gear page at the app or our website. Invest in our resources that will help you become the best version of you. And third, change your world because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Ask about launching a real-time or virtual team in your city Uh, Start that live team. Start that virtual team today. Men, join us in building an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best versions of themselves and changing their world. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. I think I'm smelling Dale right now. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called The Man Card Weekend with The Men in the Arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of our popular field guide, A Bathroom Book for Men. Jim wrote this book for men who don't read books. It's a daily study of manly words explained with great stories. You will find enough entries to read one a day for an entire year. That's right, 365 daily readings on what a man is and does. Get your own copy at mancardpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.